What's up, everybody? This is Kevin from Salty Nova Company Podcast, and I'm back with my good buddy, Paul, for another episode of The Whole Enchilada. What's up, Paul? What's going on, guys? And today, we're going to be talking about Mother Love Bone. <laughs> oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong recording. Wrong band. I apologize. <laughs> wrong band. Same era. You know, same yeah. time, yeah. Same it's genre. Fun. It's been if you guys, if you just tune into the show and you have no idea what the whole enchilada is, I'll backtrack you. It's, Losers. It's been what several several episodes ago. Yeah, you and I got together and we did a segment called the whole enchilada, mm-hmm. and we started with Mother Love Bone, who we talked about was the the creators of grunge music. We actually got some good feedback on that. People kind of liked it that me and Paul both were geeking out pretty heavy on music. And uh, then just time got in the way, other things, the show keeps rolling on. So I was like, hey, Paul, let's carve out some time on Monday and sit down and let's continue the series of the whole enchilada. But this time, based on the intro, can you guys guess who we're talking about? That's right, Nirvana. That is right. It is. <laughs> this is uh, Alice in Chains, which we've been excited about it. Absolutely. Because we're both huge uh, fans of Alice in Chains. Um, so I was like, let's do it. Let's dive in. We're kind of continuing that continuation of grunge, and I couldn't think of a better band to talk about than Alice in Chains. I mean, if you're going to talk about grunge, this is this is the band. This is the all-encompassing. I think that they, they cover it all. They cover the rock your socks off down to the heart-wrenching poetic style singing mm-hmm. as well. So which I think will, this yep. is a great band to kind of cover all of it. And we're going to dive into a whole bunch of that, yep. which is cool. We got a, I got a whole bunch of songs queued up. And what I was telling Paul before we went, went live, what makes uh, the whole enchilada fun but nerve-wracking is like with any other show that Paul's been on, you know, a normal Salty Nova Company episode or even on Sunday Morning Apology, we have a general idea. The show isn't scripted, but it's, it's scripted for the most part, as far as we know where we're going. This, I have no idea. Yep. So I have all my notes. I have like seven, eight pages of Allison Chains' notes, but I can't promise you it's going to flow. So Sorry, guys. I'll keep it I'll keep it. Paul will do Don't it. worry about it. Paul will do it. I figured what we would do is I would start off on just the, the backstory, the creation, and then we'll just flow through. And then throughout this, we'll talk about some songs that are meaningful for us. I have about eight songs queued up, some of my favorites, some of Paul's favorites, and we'll just kind of geek out on those for a little bit. Yep. How's that, Paul? Sounds good. All right, peeps. If you do not know who Allison Chains is, we have a lot to talk about. But I know there is a demographic of like First 16... Off. How dare you? How dare ye? We have a demographic of like 16 to 18 listening. So it's possible yeah. <laughs> that you've may have never heard Alice in Chains. Yeah. And it is not a spinoff of Alice in Wonderland. This is actual grunge band. So here is the backstory on Alice in Chains. Um, based on the notes, started in Seattle, Washington in 1987. Uh, the, the, the featured lineup was Jerry Cantrell, Sean Kinney, one of my favorite drummers, Mike Starr, and Lane Staley. Um, in 1993, uh, Mike Inez, who is the who was bass player, came in and replaced um, Mike Starr. Just a little fun factoid. Allison Chains was this considered grunge music. Um, their sound was kind of incorporating some heavy metal elements. And Allison Chains is known for their distinctive vocals, which you'll hear today, uh, which included harmon- uh, harmonized vocals between Staley and Control. That's um, that's a big one. I mean, they're. His voice is is one of a kind, um, and I think that's one of the big things that always drew me to them is that he doesn't sound, you know, Eddie Vedder can sing, mm-hmm. right? 
but I feel like he was a little bit more popular because nobody could understand what he was saying. <laughs> That's true. You know, it's just long, drawn-out <laughs> syllables and vowels and whatnot. Lane, you can hear the pain or the happiness potentially mm-hmm. in his voice. Um, I bring him, you know, in the same ballpark as Chester Bennington. You know, it's mm-hmm. that's just one in a, once in a generational type of voice that's going to have an impact on the entire music industry. And I feel like Lane was that guy for this era. Beautifully put. I agree. I think what made this. All right, so I'm done. I can you, you bounce, dude. Thanks right, for coming cool. out. Thanks, Paul. Bringing in um, the, uh, the color commentating. You're welcome. <laughs> um, this is what made this. Obviously, I've been an Alice in Chains uh, fan since I can remember, but it's cool to go back and dig through some of the notes because I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly. As it, I do. Mm-hmm. As we dive through the story, you're going to get that um, emotion. And I think you referenced it before. You're going to have your Alice in Chains songs that are super pumped, super hype. Like you just want to, you know, gear up and go to work. And then there's some where you're just like, damn, dude, you can feel the emotion. And that's what's cool about the way we're doing this episode is I think hopefully the listener will kind of pick up on on that and go through this emotional roller coaster. Well, if you did your job as the producer, they should. I hope so. We'll so see. let's we'll see. see. We'll let's see. see if your actual work product <laughs> failed today so that this podcast could blossom. Mm. Let's find out if Allison Chains is going to be happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so that is the backstory. A little bit. We could we could go even further on the Baxter Allison Chains, but that's basically it. So Seattle, Washington, 1987, the band is formed. And now we move on to uh, the debut album, which is called Facelift, which uh, debuted in 1990. Um, songs featured on that were We Die Young. And of course, this song I'm going to play uh, was nominated for a Grammy for Best Rock Song. Go to karaoke song. Such a great song. Yep, here comes the iconic. Mm-hmm. I don't no, even want you to turn it off. I, like, know, I just want to listen to the whole thing. The whole, there's no other. I was trying to find. Usually, I try to find the chorus, mm-hmm. but I think with "Man in the Box," there's nothing better than hearing that dun dun dun. Like hearing the intro and the iconic. What does it sound like? Dun. Done, well, done, right? And the iconic uh, Lane Staley voice. You can't go wrong there. Are you sure um, you're not scripted? Because that was exactly <laughs> the same. It's what I do. It's yeah, what I do. I get it. Um, so that song was released in 1990. Facelift became the first grunge album to be certified gold. For all you... I suppose that had 100,000 copies? Yeah, 100,000. Which is... Uh, I have a, a note which is interesting because it said six months after the release of the album, it only sold 40,000 copies. So to give people a like, give that context. The number one album in 1990 was "Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Them" by MC Hammer, which sold 14 million albums in its first year. Um, was that the one with "Can't Touch This" on it? I want to say I I meant to look back. If to, so, I was one of those 14 million. I had that bad boy on cassette. <laughs> Nice. That's so, right. So A side only though. The B side wasn't good. So if you, so if you're listening, so so in 1990, Allison Chains is struggling with facelift. Here's a young Paul going through the mall and is like, oh, I know what album I'm going to get. I'm going to get MC Hammer. Yeah, bro. Mm-hmm. And he got. I don't hey. know what's on. I went to look up to see what was on that album because I think that I think you're right. It's either you don't have Google. No, I don't. 
I'm looking at you with your phone. I figured you were doing quit, uh, quit asking Jeeves <laughs> and then go to Google, please. It's on that DuckDuckGo. Whatever that is. I think they say that they use DuckDuckGo oh, to not get tracked or whatever. Yeah. 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 So um so to give you context, yeah, there that's 14 million album sales for MC Hammer. And then here it comes here it comes Alice in Chains, Bless the Little Hearts, with 40,000 copies sold um for facelift. However, it started to kind of spread like wildfire, like they usually do. And then in uh in Faye would have it. Man in the box would peak number 18 on the billboard charts. Mm-hmm. So start off a little slow, started picking up. Um, and then of course, men in the box exploded uh, onto the charts. And then of course, once it hit MTV and it got a music video, that's when it completely changed. Do you ever play? Um, I think it was rock band. Do you ever play rock band? Uh-huh. Or I, yeah, I didn't know because you played real instruments and I never did. So that was my <laughs> way of doing it. Uh, but they had this song, on there and that was always like God, dude, my go-to. go-to karaoke song on on that game um i can sing about four words of it that sound like it's in tune like it's in the park yeah yeah um the rest of it's really bad but it's the hey i put a lot of effort into it hey if you were at a drunk if you're at a bar everybody's drunk and you put it on karaoke i mm. bet you they thought lane staley's there you haven't heard me sing so <laughs> probably not but that was always a go-to one that's a, it's a great song. I pulled up. I wanted to do song facts for all of these to give the listener a little bit of idea of what the songs are about. Man in the Box deals with censorship, with animal cruelty as its metaphor. The Man in the Box is like a veal calf trapped in confinement. The song was inspired by lead singer Lane Staley's impressions of both censorship and meat consumption. But saying the song is about either of those, <laughs> either of those will be stretching the facts. Staley did uh, didn't like it when musicians got political because he didn't feel they, including himself, should be preaching about things they weren't qualified to elaborate on. He's just a good person all around. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yep. Like I could speak my political beliefs, but don't don't nobody care. Yep. Nobody, nobody cares. Um, so that's uh, the song. Start uh, the song started out being about censorship, censorship, but then Staley and Allison Chains went to dinner with some Columbia Records executives. Uh, some of the executives were vegetarians, and the conversation turned uh, quickly from calves um, to politics. Hey, you got to you got to work with what's in front of you, I guess. Well, I mean, vegetarians, you know. Yeah, that's true. So that uh, that no album, offense to vegetarians. No, no offense, or some offense. Just maybe a little, just a little bit at the time. So obviously that's um, so backtrack album wasn't doing well immediately caught on the MTV. I think the video for man in the box really sort Alice in Chains to a whole nother level. Um, at that point, that album put him in, put him in motion. They toured with several national acts. The two that I wrote down was they toured with Megadeth, which was pretty cool. Mm. And they toured with heavy hitters at the time, Van Halen um, on one of their tours. And at that point, that's a very interesting combination i think uh, van halen it's kind of you've covered most of the spectrums of the the rock yeah rock and roll spectrum or all parts of it at least um yeah. van halen going into the 90s you know wasn't wasn't like it was in the 80s right so it's kind of an interesting combination between but the it's two. cool that they were they're torn megadeth that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty good accomplishment back then yep especially think that metallica was around at that time and they're torn with megadeth and of course van halen uh, while they're on tour with Van Halen, of course, it's it's not hurting them. It's building their it's building their music base, their fan base. The album is soaring, like we always like we said on the Mother Love Bone. 
the dreams are coming true, baby, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be a rock star. During the time of facelift, Lane Staley was battling demons. Uh, the whole band was reported to be battling substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, things of that nature. So we wouldn't have grunge if we didn't have a little bit of drug overdose yeah. and drug activity. You wouldn't have on. grunge if it wasn't for heroin. That is true. Uh, so just kind of take that in mind. If you During the facelift album and the touring of facelift, everybody was pretty much getting tore up from the floor up on mm -hmm. some type of drugs or or some type of alcohol or what have you. So then 1992 rolls around, and they release uh, Dirt, uh, which had uh, one of my favorite songs, which is Them Bones. Peaking at uh, peaking at number six on the Billboard charts um, was Dirt. That's a that's a great album. That's actually the album that introduced me to them. Uh, one Christmas, I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but one Christmas I got a boombox. Um, Christmas morning, like the old school mm -hmm. silver, yeah, three disc changer in the middle with the two removable speakers. Uh, I got one of those for Christmas, and that was the CD that my stepdad oh, had yeah, put in there God. to play. And uh, I was so excited. I was actually more excited about the CD because that was one that he had listened to and I liked it and I thought he was giving it to me. Hell and yeah. then I went to go like <laughs> take it all into my room and he was like, whoa, 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 give my CD back. And I was like, oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> Got to keep the boombox, obviously, but uh, the CD was more disappointing. Of all things, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is the last, uh, sorry, go back to the, uh, so yes, yeah, the highest selling album to date it was the, this is kind of now we're going to start getting a little more, but it was the last recording that Allison Chains did that featured all four of the original band members um, until they changed out. Bass, bass players Mike Inez came in. It is considered by music critics to be one of the greatest rock, and they even put rock slash grunge slash a dozen other different yeah. terms for rock behind it, the greatest rock album of all time and the most influential album of all time, not only from the fans, but from other and I fans. Think it, I think it, it it is. I mean, it's it's one of those CDs, that, especially back then, because, you know, we didn't have it like we do now, where you can download two or three songs off an album and yeah. not listen to the rest of them. You you know, you paid 30 bucks, 20, $20 $30 for a CD or, or cassette, whatever the case may be. You wanted to get your money's worth. So, mm -hmm. you know, for the first couple months or so, you would listen to the album all the way through. Then eventually you just start yep. skipping songs. But that's one of those albums that you can listen to all the way through, even if you're yeah. not a fan of them, just because there's a little bit of variety throughout the entire album. And you can just put it in and let it go all the way to the – get you about halfway to the beach at least. <laughs> yeah, every song on there is phenomenal, yeah. like every song on there. Um, at that point, of course, when grunge – when when Dirt was released in 1992, grunge music was in full effect. So we're at 100%. Because at that point, Nirvana was already on. Paul rolled his eyes. We'll do Nirvana one day. Nirvana was in full swing. Soundgar was I'll in full swing. I'll be sick that day. You can have Nick on. He'll listen to everything. He doesn't know anything about Nirvana. <laughs> um, Soundgar was in full effect. I mean, the list goes on. Um, Everybody was in full effect. Soundgarden started in 78. So, yeah. you know, based, been for a while. Based on our previous, yeah, our, our base, based on our previous Mother Lone Bone information, mm -hmm. we found out that, like, Soundgarden was doing grunge in the 60s. So they were <laughs> they were ahead of everybody. They toured point. with the Beatles. 
And they were already killing it. Um, so the album is so the song the the album showcases lyrics about drugs, <laughs> substance abuse, et cetera, et cetera, dark matter, mental illness, depression. Um, who would have thought? Nineteen ninety two. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. Um, Lane spent most of his. Did you listen to your mother love bone episode or? <laughs> yeah, because you, you were there. Uh, yeah, you actually brought most of the information. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately, during the time Lane did spend some time in rehab. Yeah, because we're coming off of facelift. Now we're into 1992, and he's still battling heroin. Went to and now rehab. they got more money mm-hmm. than than they can spend. Yep. So he goes to rehab due to heroin. Um, still battling those demons, man. What I thought was really interesting, I did not know this was. I think up until, again, I'm going to speculate. I think right about before Dirt hit, from my notes, it seems like Lane Staley was actually doing pretty well. He wasn't, he, he had somehow kicked the habit, so to speak, maybe not 100%, but it said that he kind of fell off the wagon around the release of Dirt. Um, it, it sounds like he wanted to have a relationship with his father for a long time, try to reconnect with him, and his dad didn't have any interest, right, at all. Well, when his uh, when his dad found out that his son Lane mm. Staley was the lead singer in Alice, Alice in Chains, oh holy shit! He was all about reconnecting, and it says that um, they reconnected, and uh, Lane Staley said that they would just do drugs all night. His dad would just bombard him for money to buy drugs. So I wonder if him reconnecting with his dad was almost his Got demise. Because mm-hmm. what would have happened? If he would have been clean and his dad wouldn't have wanted to get, you know, back up with him. I don't know what would have happened, but I thought that was kind of interesting that he'd probably doing a podcast with his buddy mm-hmm. in the kitchen. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Called the Lane Staley hour. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that like he reconnected with his dad. And then, of course, uh, his dad gets him back on the habit just because he wants. Uh, he said his dad would show up and want money to buy smack. That's what he called it. Mm. So I guess the rule, I guess the life lesson is don't reconnect with your dad. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that's what it would sound like, yeah. On that album, there were songs. Um, on that album, uh, you had Wood, which was our intro, of course. Phenomenal. We already talked about that song, the reason why it's called Wood and who it was dedicated to. Them Bones uh, was also on that album. Another one by the name of Angry Chair. <laughs> It's like an iconic drum mm-hmm. drum intro. It's not fancy. It's not fancy, but it's classic. Well, that's the thing about them is that nothing was ever really all that fancy. Nope. It just did the job. It's just, it all sounded really good together all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you throw his quirky vocal styles in there and boom. Yeah. You got yourself a, a, a hit band. Right out of the get. I've always, when you, so far we've done... <clears throat> We've done Men in the Box, Thin Bones, and Angry Chair. Which is your favorite out of those three that we've done so far? I mean, it's probably going to have to be Man in the Box. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just like to this day, like it still gets the, the you know the goosebumps on my arms, and like especially if I'm driving, like yeah. it's first thing in the morning, able to have the windows down yeah. and just like rock out, turn the volume up, like that song. That song gets me going. Does it? Okay. Yeah. So based on that was Angry Chair we just played. 
Um, song fact says the concept of the angry chair noted in the song comes from Allison Chain's vocalist, Lane Staley's childhood. His father would put him in a timeout by sitting him in a chair in front of the mirror. The angry chair in the song, though, is clearly metaphorical, and the lyrics are discussing adulthood. Mm. Probably like a little bit more, a little bit more serious on 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 that one. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're all. If yeah. you break it down, their lyrics are all. Yeah. Yeah. Real serious. I want to double back to Them Bones because that's what opened up the segment for um, this album. Them Bones is about Allison Chain songwriter frontman Jerry Control's fear of dying. In the liner notes for the Music Bank box set, he wrote, I was just thinking about mortality, that one of these days will end up in Apollo Bones. There it is, straight to the point. Nothing, yeah. uh, nothing fancy at all. So that's what I've noticed about a lot of the, except for, except for Rooster. Um, oh yeah, a yeah. lot of the songs that involve Jerry Kentrell's writing, like there's not a whole lot of like hidden meaning. Yeah, there's yeah. just they're very they're very straightforward. That, that's it. There's nothing going to be nothing too fancy. Um, it kicks me to the uh, the next song on Dirt, uh, which is by by some account, uh, especially like in high school and stuff. I had friends that kind of skipped over this track. It wasn't one of their absolute their favorites. Um, which is actually shocking because it's actually got some beautiful lyrics, and that is Down in a Hole. I don't know mm. if it just didn't hit as hard as a lot of my friends thought it was going to compare it. I think it's more of just it's not like um, get you pumped up. Yeah. You know, that's more of like a and after a long day at work, driving home, or you had about four beers deep cleaning the garage, and that song, that comes, song comes on. on. Yeah, you know that one. That one hits you in the feels a little bit. Yeah, kind of going back to what you said about Jerry Cantrell. He wrote this about the love of his life, Courtney Clark. Uh, the song encompasses all of their insecurities and self doubt in a relationship. Again, not much. Yeah, there. This very but she still got a great. Point. But you still get a great, great song out of it. And that song is really, really good, which explain, explains a lot of the lyrics. Or explains it. It explains it? I think let's, it explains let's it. Let's explain it there, Let's Paul. explain it. And I've had no beer. I got uh, agua. In a fancy cup, though. And that's Spanish for water, folks. <laughs> Code switching. <laughs> you did an entire episode on that. Remember that. And I, and I just did it. Yep. I just did it. So that is that is down in a hole. And I saved this one for last one. Uh, again, I say this about all of them. They're all my favorite songs. But one of the most iconic so intros, I'm not going to do the intro. I'm going to go right to the chorus. And that is Rooster. Yeah, here come the rooster. God, that's such a great song. Uh, I don't uh, want to turn it off. Babe. So, fun fact: I'm bringing some knowledge to this episode. Do it, Paul. Do you know what that song's about? Uh, I'm looking at without the, looking at it. I, well, yeah, that's unfair. Oh, so you've the, already googled it. Well, of course, I got the song meaning notes. Yeah, but yeah. I would. I want to hear you. Thanks, Jeeves. So I can fact check it with song uh, meanings. So basically, he wrote that song for his dad. His dad was airborne, I believe, in Vietnam. And that's what the Vietnamese used to call the 101st were chicken men or roosters. Roll the credits. 
Boom. That's it. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye. See you guys next time. That's exactly what song facts. Yeah, the only thing they added at the end was the song is about resilience as the soldier gets sent off to war, leaving a wife and child behind. He watches his friends die Mm -hmm. and does his best to stay alive. They come to kill the rooster, but he won't die. Yep. Ooh, I got chills. I mean, that's just... Mm. That's a good song. That album is just top to bottom. Yes. Incredible. That song is phenomenal. And I believe that one is towards the end of the album, right? It's like 11 or 12, I believe, on that that album. Um, Let's look at the lineup of that one. Because I'm like, yeah, so it's... Yeah, so 92 and... Yeah, because you start off with them bones, which is great. I That's love that as soon as you put, off. yeah, you get hit with that. And then Rooster is number six, so it's right in the middle. Six, okay. And then it ends with wood. Uh, wood That's what it is. Which is okay, yeah. yeah. Which is actually kind of cool how they've done that, I guess, because it kind of ends that that whole story of of Andrew Wood with Mother Love Bones. So it actually works out pretty well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've always liked the song Rooster. It has that iconic intro, a super long one. Mm-hmm. And then every single lyric without going down a rabbit hole, reading them, all of those lyrics are just so powerful um, for that time. So I've always liked it. So when Dirt came out, I mean, obviously that was a huge album. You had, what did I count? One, two, three, four, five. What do we have? Like five hits off of that album. Yeah. Um, so at that point, you could definitely say that rock and roll um, fame was definitely coming together at that point in 92 off of that album. Uh, based on my notes, uh, we have some tragedy. Kurt Cobain, our buddy in Nirvana, uh, pass, passes away around that time. And uh, the managers and staff who worked alongside Allison Chains, Lane Staley, they were hoping... Um, and I know this sounds kind of the way I want to say it's kind of weird. They were hoping that Kurt Cobain's passing would get Lane Staley to clear, like clean up his act. He's still battling drugs, still battling demons. And they were hoping that by this taking place, this kind of tragedy in music, so to speak, that it would get Lane Staley like, okay, I got to get in rehab. I got to get clean. I got to start taking this shit serious. You're on your second album and the second album is bigger than the first one. And everything you wanted, all your dreams. This literally sounds like our last episode. Everything yep. you want, all your dreams, everything is coming together. And all you got to do is keep the needle at the arm and get your life together. You're not at the pinnacle of your fame. You're not at the mm-hmm. pinnacle of your money-making abilities. Like You're still on the upswing of that journey. So I get like them wanting to use that as a, as a positive for him to try to get him to kick the habit. But like we've talked about, uh, we talked about it during the Mother Love Bone episode, and we've talked about it on the podcast, uh, the, the the regular podcast. Mm-hmm. You know that addiction is just, it's not. People think you can just quit it, just walk away from and, it. Yeah, you know you can't. It's it's something that controls every minute of every day that you're that you're alive, and it doesn't do good things for your mental health. It no, it does not. And so it's kind of it is again based on what we talked about before, it is kind of sad to think that everything's going well. I mean, your first album was almost considered a flop, and then thank God it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Now you're on your second album with four or five singles that all went bangers, and then now you're basically being told, like, we really need you to get your shit together. <laughs> like, yeah. We really need you to get it together. Um, the sad part is they actually had, this would have been huge, Allison Chains was set to tour with heavy hitters Metallica, in 1994, but had to drop out due to Lane Staley's drug addiction. Yeah, uh, Rehearsals weren't going well. 
ton of drama behind that. Of course, I'm not just pointing the finger at him. I'm sure the, the other members were having their issues too, but it seems like Lane was definitely one that was battling the most. So to have a huge tour like that in 94, let's think real quick. Black Album was 1990 for Metallica. Would that I be? I have no idea. So let's say that's 90, 90. New- Hot take. Yeah. Metallica's overrated. I'd say 91. It was when Black Album hit. So Metallica is riding high at this point. Like they are definitely coming off of that. So that would have been a huge tour for Alice oh, in Chains. Yeah. But due to Lane Staley's drug addiction, it had to be cut. There was no way they could actually do it. Um, Facelift and Dirt, um, by music critics' accounts, had made Alice in Chains a household name and rock stars. They oh, had yeah. money. They were definitely doing it. I wrote this down. I thought it was kind of interesting. I wrote down, uh, but the dream was becoming a nightmare because that's pretty much exactly what it <laughs> what it was doing. And we talked about it before. Good job, dad joke. You like that? <laughs> I would hit my, uh, my but at team. This but- show brought to you now <laughs> by Kevin's jokes. <laughs> they're mediocre at best. <laughs> but at least they're mediocre. They're consistent, you know? Yeah. They're, that's the thing. They're, I'm always going to be consistent with you, Paul. We um, make the obvious joke. Yes, absolutely. I need you to dig, dig deeper on that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I felt like, right? Like I was, I guess thinking about Jerry control, not saying he's innocent, all this, but I was thinking about him mm. not saying that he wasn't battling his own thing, but I think it sounds like Jerry control was relatively like clean. Yeah. I mean, he probably dabbled or at least he, put together. Yeah. And so I think for him, he made multiple interview accounts just about like, bro, like we got it, we got to get our shit together, keep this yeah. rolling. Like, um, and I, I saw that most people considered him to be like the front man, which was interesting because Lane Staley was the front man. But I think so. I Jared, think it's more of like showmanship. Like if you watched mm-hmm. like the unplugged, yeah, um, Lane's there, but Lane ain't really there. You know what I mean? Like he's there singing, and he's still he's yeah. got the emotion in his voice, but. He's not. He doesn't come off as like a typical front man necessarily in your face all the time. So I can I can That's see true. why why people would say that. Maybe maybe Jerry controls more of the the dad in the group. He's trying to hold it all together and be like, "Come on, dude!" Like, yeah. We but I mean, a- if you know, if you've got interviews and shit to do, and your front man is passed out, yeah, who's gonna do it? It's gonna be Jerry Control. You know, it's gonna be Jerry Control. So. If he starts doing all the interviews and seems like he's kind of running the ship, I can I can see that, I can see yeah. when people would, would say that. Yeah. So you have backtrack. You got Allison Chains soaring high. Lane Silly can't control his issues. They're basically told, "Hey, you cannot tour with Metallica '94." So what do they do? They go in the studio in '94 and they release in '94 uh, "Jars of Flies," which was considered an EP. It was the first EP in history to peak at number one on the Billboard charts, and it sold over 140,000 copies, Yep, which is incredible. The track listing on that album was songs like Nutshell, which we're going to dive into a little bit in a minute. Um, this The song I'm going to do here, I Stay Away, by all accounts, was probably, if I had to really remember, I want to say I Stay Away was the first Alice in Chains songs I really do remember hearing for the first time. Mm. 
I know I've heard others, but I do remember. I really do feel like I remember that song. Well, so that's going to be about the time that, <clears throat> yeah, because we're about the same age. It's going to be about the time that we're actually starting to listen to the radio. That song was popular on the radio back then for yeah. the, the, the alternative stations in our area, in our mm-hmm. state. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be one of the first ones I remember, like, hearing on the radio. Yeah. I remember... <laughs> I remember uh, we had we had like dial up internet, and I remember waiting all night for that yeah, for that song to download, so I could just get "I Stay Away." Mm-hmm. It's it's up there. It's not number one. We'll talk about number one in a little bit, but that song is up there but for nostalgia. Yep, it was the it was the first Allison Chain song that had a string section. There's no there's mm. no other song that string, and that intro you're hearing uh, the guitar is actually a twelve string guitar. Just little fun factoids, which is again rare for Allison Chains. That's something they've yeah. never done before. So it's almost kind of like this: your tour's cut completely. You're not going to go on tour. You could run and tuck tail, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. But you go in the studio and you release an EP of like eight or nine tracks, <laughs> yeah. and then you come up with this creativity of like, "Hey, I got an idea. We've never recorded with a twelve string guitar. Let's do it. Or we've never used a string section. Let's yep. do it." So I kind of always uh, we've never was, made the best grunge song ever. Let's do it. Let's do it <laughs> exactly. So then they uh, they did I Stay Away, um, and then of course um, they did No Excuses, uh, which is by far up there on the top. Um, I had a little again these you know again these songs are not there's not a lot of information about them because Paul kind of said it. I feel like there's not a lot of there's a lot of thought that goes into it, but there's just when you're when when asked, um, like when they asked Lean Staley, they were like, "Hey, I got a question for you. Why did you write I Stay Away?" For instance, um, it was like, "Oh yeah, I wrote it. Uh, he, I was coming out of rehab and I was sober for a short period of time." And then he wrote No Excuses um, when he started shooting up again. So there's not much, not much there. Um, so there's not a lot of hidden meaning in in any of their songs. No, they're very straightforward. Straightforward out the yep, straightforward out the gate. Um, so then the we're gonna do nutshell, but we're gonna jump to we're gonna jump to their unplugged 1996 performance. Okay. Um, so you have jars of flies, which I would recommend, of course, checking out. That was released in '94. Um, that had nutshell. I stay away. No excuses. Don't follow. That is just a clip. It. Uh, that is the most up and down album, I guess you call. It. I mean, it is what eight or nine, eight seven. So EP, uh, it is the the most up and down variety of music I think that they have on in one album. It's um, nutshell. I stay away. No excuses. All really good songs. Um, and then you got some other ones on there that you you just gotta kind of be in the mood to listen to. It's not dirt where you're gonna listen to all the way through. <laughs> it's yeah. it's much more of a listening to three or four of those songs some of the other ones are a little weird yeah right uh, you start off with rotten apple nutshell i stay away no excuses well and wasp don't follow and swing on this yeah and that's seven tracks and i think what like i said it was the first ep to ever go number uh first ep to go number one the reason that's unique is because it's only seven freaking songs yeah like some bands have 14 15 tracks and can't even get within the top 100 so that's what made it uh, pretty unique um, for them at the time. Um, so yeah, Paul's kind of got a good point. It's kind of an up and down, um, an up and down album. But 
um, I've always, out of all of them, I still think No Excuses has one of the most iconic uh, drum intros of all time. Love it. Love it. Coming from a drummer. It's iconic. It's so, I don't know. It's like, what have you been on tour buses? <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> um, there's a, I wanted to, this is the first time I've done this with, with this episode. I want to read some lyrics for no excuses. Um, we know that he wrote the song based on him going back to drugs. And there's a lyric in here that always kind of gets me. Uh, it says, yeah, it's fine. We walk down the line, leave our rain and cold, and trade for warm sunshine. That Amazing. one's not very straightforward. That one's, no, that, that one's got a little, little hidden meaning mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Hands are bruised. Uh, it's okay. Had a bad day. Hands are bruised from breaking rocks all day. Draining blue. I bleed for you. You think it's funny. Well, you're drowning in it too. Mm. Mm. Love it. It's, it's he's a really good front man. <laughs> Very good. I love. Uh, so what I'm, I want to play that because obviously and this is back when they actually had to write their own stuff. Exactly right. They didn't have seven ghostwriters. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. <laughs> Repeat that seventy four <laughs> times in a row and go platinum. Nope. Um, last fun fact of jars of flies before I move on to our unplugged is okay. um, who's about to fight. <laughs> Most people are not going to care, but the really cool thing about No Excuses that I just played about the drum part is that Sean Kenny played that whole album with a broke hand. So that's mm. pretty damn impressive. That's called Just Gotta Do It. Like, and he literally said in an interview, he was being like, high I, the whole time. Yeah, he's like, I had no choice. Like, if I didn't play it, I would get replaced. And then what's the chances that they would be like, oh, well, hey, he, hey, Sean, take six months off to recoup. We'll take this guy on tour. Next thing you know, Sean's fired. So, yep. hey, hats off to you. So Red Hot Chili Peppers did that with like seven drummers. <laughs> yeah. Just FYI. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's Jars of Flies released in 94. And now we're going to move on a little bit to the Unplugged album, uh, which was released in July 30th, 1996. It was recorded at the Brooklyn Academy Music Majestic Theater. The set includes acoustic versions of their popular songs and less uh, lesser known songs as well. A little fun fact is the stage was filled. Uh, if you watch the performance on YouTube, all the candles were not put there by MTV. They were put there by Allison Chains. I did not know this. Allison Allison Chains did not like lights. I mean, you know, they didn't like the bright concert lights. So they actually brought in all those candles themselves and set all those candles up to create a more like moody vibe. That's cool. So I thought that was kind of cool. Now, did they do that before Nirvana? I wonder. If they did, I'd have to go back. I wonder if like they, like Allison Chains, like might have set that in motion where people are like, "Oh, we're." Gonna I can't use remember who was that was so long ago. You think about it, and you're like, "Oh, that's like 20 years ago," and then you're like, that "No, one. nope, it's like 35 <laughs> years ago." <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of cool that they did that. Um, you just gonna, are we skipping over the self-titled album with Heaven Beside You on it? So I was gonna preface. I skipped over a few of the albums. Now, granted, that album has. It only had one hit song. 
It did. I skipped over because I'm missing. There's two. I think I've, I've skipped over. Not that they weren't important, mm-hmm. but I was just well, getting, giving everybody the meat and potatoes. But I think you're right. There's Heaven Beside You, which is a great song. That's a. I mean, that's a. That's a. That's a top. Mm-hmm. That's a top song that they have. Now the album itself, eh, you know, hit or miss on some of them. Um, but does, that song itself is. Where does that fall into your list? I mean, it's it's probably top five. Okay. I mean, you got, so Nutshell would be number one. Yep. Down in the Hole is probably number two. Man in the Box, three. Rooster, four. And then it would be like a battle of, of wood, of wood or yeah. heaven beside you for five, six. Yeah. And then with, it, this is interesting because I had, heaven beside you has always been, it's, it's got an iconic guitar, you know, guitar riff, but another attempt to re, uh, reconcile the fact that my life and paths are tearing me apart from the person I love. Another theme that's pretty iconic through the, the grunge the era. Trail. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole that's that's the whole genre. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad you went back on that because like I said, that was the one album I was skipping over. Not for any particular reasoning of the time, of course, but it was more you just or less like a, to do fifty percent of the work. I do. I didn't want to have to do that other little bit of it, you know. Still a good album, God. but managers, you know man- what I mean? <laughs> Manage from the back, leaders lead from the front. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, right. guys. I'll come more prepared for this next one. I was told not to, but I will for the next one. Hey, kudos for bringing up heaven beside you. Good job. Good job. Can I move on to the unplug now? <laughs> I don't know. Are you skipping over anything <laughs> else that we need to talk about? <laughs> I'm glad you're not. I'm glad you're not Jerry Control sitting across from me going, wait a second, hold up. Hold up. Did you just skip my life's work? That's my favorite That's album. That's my favorite song. And I'm like, oh man, I totally, oh man, I got a page ripped out of here. <laughs> what right? happened? Somebody, I totally messed up. I spilled some of my Black Rifle coffee on here. I can't <laughs> see it anymore. My bad, Jerry. My bad. Um, so anyway, Unplugged, July 30th, 1996. Um, we talked about the set design, which is pretty cool with the candles. This is the haunting part. This would be the last performance of Lane Staley. Hmm. So July 30th, 1996, they do the Unplugged album, and it is really technically the last time Jerry Control will perform with Allison Chains. He still performs with them. <sighs> he does. Did you mean Lane Staley? What did I say? Jerry Control. Oh, shit. Yes. Yes. No, Jerry's still alive. He's doing great. He's doing great. <laughs> Jerry Breaking Control's- news. <laughs> Find it out first. No, no, no. Jerry Control's doing great. He's doing great. Uh, but te- well, no, was I wrong, though? Because technically, do they, did, they did take a little hiatus. Yeah, but you said the but last I did. time. Yeah, sorry. So he still performs. Yeah. Sorry, Jerry. You are alive and well. Sorry. I'm, I'm sure he's going to hear this. I doubt it. But correction, it would be the last time Lane Staley. There it is. There it is. Would perform, uh, perform with Allison Chains sad paul's just looking around awkward was it awkward uh because you said p form oh p form i was gonna let it go (laughs) but then you made it weird so here we are um on the unplugged album uh if you go listen i would definitely definitely listen to it uh -uh. watch it i was gonna say that too like if i'm gonna listen to allison chains i would say like 90 percent of the time i think i do pull the I think I pulled the acoustic album out. Mm-hmm. It's not taking away anything from the other stuff, like the other albums, but there's something about the vibe of the acoustic. Because I don't typically like a lot of acoustic stuff, 
But the way Allison Chains delivers it is like way better. I guess you can feel it. So, and I think that's what it is, especially like when you watch the the episode, not just listen to it, but you watch yeah. it. Like you can see and hear all of the emotions that he's going through while he's singing it. Now, granted, this is probably towards the end of his life where he is going through a lot of emotions. He's yeah. probably high 24 <laughs> seven. Um, but you can, it's just a, it's a different, like the, the Nirvana one, obviously the, that was actually a really great episode as well, but you don't, you don't get the same, at least for me. Yeah. I don't get the same emotional attachment as when you watch it when Allison Chains did it. That's a good point. Cause if you watch it now, and you've never seen it after this episode. You like you hear the episode. You go back and watch it. You'll look at it differently. Yeah, because you'll know that. Well, you know, spoiler alert. You know that it's obviously the last performance, and you can look at him and tell. Maybe not at first because you don't know the backstory. But if you look at him now, you can just tell that he's in pain, battling major addiction, mental illness, depression, everything else. Yeah. And so a lot of people uh, like who knew him, his management said that watching it, even though it was a great performance, they said it was like terribly sad watching it because they knew that his life was just unraveling in front of them yeah. and there was nothing they could really do about it. So I think I definitely always recommend watching it. I was telling um, Paul before we started recording that I like watching like the music react videos and we're going to dive into it, but there was two two girls that listened to one of the songs we're going to play here in a minute. Never heard it before and could not stop from crying. And that just shows you that even though they, they didn't know who Alice in Chains, the band, or the battle of heroin and all the depression, they could just feel the lyrics. Um, on the For that performance, you had tracks like uh, Brother, No Excuses, Down in a Hole, Wood, nutshell, some of the some of the popular ones we talked about, and it closes out with a quote. Uh, Jerry Control said so this is his favorite quote from Lane Staley, and um, they finish out this show. The place goes nuts, and Lane Staley says in a funny way, "I wish I could hug you all, but I'm not gonna." <laughs> I was joking that I, if I were to ever get like a quote tattooed, it'd be that one mm -hmm. because when you first read it, you're like. What a dick. But the way he said it was, man, I wish I could hug all of you, but I'm not gonna. It was just perfect. So Jerry said he still thinks about that that performance. Well, I mean, you gotta think too, like he probably just sees him all the time as just like a zombie, you know, because at that point in your addiction, mm -hmm. you're there's probably not a whole lot of life exuding from you. So for him to come out and make a joke, it's probably one of those where it just it you know, caught him off guard so much that it it just it brought a smile. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I've never, I never heard that, never heard that quote before by him. So I thought it was really good. So now it's the, tr it's now it's the moment. Um, we're it's gonna play thirty minutes. It has, here we are. This is the first song on that uh, acoustic album, and it's how, what they opened up with. If you go back and listen to it, which you, you will at the end, um, you huge, better. huge ovation. People go nuts for it. So this is uh, by far, this is my number one Alice in Chains song, and I think it is definitely Paul's number one. This yeah. is... Well, I was considering, I've yeah. already listed my top five, yes. and that was number one. This is... You're like a detective. Dun-dun-dun. 
That's my detective music. Okay, Dick Tracy. <laughs> this is Nutshell. let that one run a little long <laughs> not long enough my <laughs> friend not long enough i wanted you guys to hear of course the music aspect of it but i wanted you to hear how lane comes in and of course uh, some of those lyrics in the very beginning because <laughs> it it does it gives, it gives you chills you, it gives you goosebumps it gives man. you chills i'll kick over uh while paul's shaking off them chills over to song meaning um lane staley in a nutshell Meaning, um, Pun he, intended. Yeah, he wrote the lyrics to the song. The rest of the band, of course, Jerry, Mike Inez, and Jarmashan Kenny wrote the music. After complete, uh, completing the Jars of Flies album, Staley entered rehab for his well-documented heroin addiction. He was deep into the fight while recording the song, and we can hear it in the opening lyrics. And the reason I let it run long is because I wanted you to read, uh, hear the, the, the first little bit of the lyrics. We chase misprinted lies. Take that for whatever you want to take that for. We face the path of time, which we've talked about, what, three or four songs mm -hmm. that they've talked about their mortality, I mm -hmm. guess would be right. And yet I fight, and yet I fight this battle all alone. No one to cry to and no place to call home. Powerful, powerful imagery of lyrics just in the first go round. Almost like you're getting just a knock to the face yep. right out of it. The lyric that gives, gets me every time is... Um, that he fights the battle all alone. I think we all can relate to probably that in our lives, that there's mm -hmm. something you're going through that nobody else will understand and you feel alone. No one to cry to and no place to call home. Yep. Powerful lyrics. Um, there's more to the song than heroin struggles. Staley also reveals his problems with fame, which is why he references the we chase misprinted lies. And his general battle with modern life, he references... My gift of self is raped. My privacy is raped. And yet I find, and yet I find repeating in my head, if I can't be my own, I'd feel better dead. And I was telling Paul when he got here, uh, there was two girls I watched do the React videos. Uh, both of them had never, uh, I think one of them heard of Alice in Chains, but was definitely more of a metalhead. So she was definitely not listening to Alice in Chains, which I told Paul was kind of shocking. But she watches the live performance of nutshell that we're talking about and has never heard the song before and was having to like she was actively crying and she'd never heard the song because she could hear the lyrics and she could connect to them mm -hmm. she actually had to stop to compose herself when um lane said no one to cry to and no place to call home the other video was another lady who had never heard allison chains in her whole life and was actively sobbing at this performance. And that's that gives you chills. I mean, it's just the lyrics are, <clears throat> you know, if you've if you've gone through anything 
that make you feel that way, then you hear these lyrics and not to sound like a simp, but in a angelic presentation as that is, you know what I mean? He's not the best singer ever, <clears throat> but the way he sings you when you feel the emotion in his voice and the inflection mm -hmm. and that pain's coming across. It's just like an immediate. I remember the first time I heard this song, like I thought I knew the lyrics. Hit rewind, looked up the lyrics, yeah. and immediately was just like, "Holy shit!" Like mm -hmm. that one. That one hits you right in the feels because if it's you know, if you don't, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm not going to get into it on this podcast, but there's a lot that people can relate to, and mm -hmm. in that type of song, it. It just makes you understand that you're not the only one that goes through shit. Yeah. And I think me and Paul joke all the time, but that's Nutshell is one of those songs that when it comes on, you can't turn it off. Right. It's almost disrespectful to turn it off. It is. But the imagery, the lyrics, I think are so important. And I know a lot of times, and me and Paul have talked about, I know a lot of times like people, people kind of make fun that I don't like maybe certain kind of genres of music or I'm not into. Tell me your thoughts on Cardi B. No, well, yeah, here we go. That's a whole other episode there. <laughs> that's the whole purpose of this podcast, bro. <laughs> um, or th these episodes. That's exactly right. Uh, we'll do a whole deep, whole enchilada on Cardi B. No, we won't. Okay, we won't. I won't no, be here for that one. Um, but a lot of people always want to know, like, why I don't listen to certain stuff they listen to. And I know if you're listening to Nutshell for the first time, you're probably thinking, dude, what the hell? Like, this is an this whole thing is depressing. You're talking about a guy battling like heroin. Why would I want to listen to that? But for me, that's how I connect. I connect to emotion. Mm -hmm. I connect to real, and I connect to like the rawness of that. Songs, you know, songs about popping bottles in the club and stuff that has its place. But for me, um, there's this gut wrenching emotional attachment to these songs, just because that. A nutshell was someone's like that was someone's fucking life. Mm -hmm. Like this wasn't a joke. This wasn't popping bottles in the club and like like a G six. Like this was a real struggle between demons, and you're witnessing it unfold in front of you. Right. Like I'm, I'm and there are you know there's some bangers that you know have a few beers you want to dance to a little bit. Yep. Um, but I can't relate to throwing money around like it's no object. Right. You know what I mean. I can relate to growing up with struggles, having to find yourself and realizing that you could really only rely on yourself. Now I've got my wife and my kids. That's mm -hmm. a different story. But until then I had to realize like there wasn't nobody else. Like yeah. I'm going through this shit alone. Um, so when I heard those lyrics and he talks about, I fight this battle all alone. I was like, well, shit. Yep. All right, brother. All right, brother. Um, <laughs> but I like you. I, I can relate to that a lot easier than I can, you know, talking about all this extravagant shit yeah. that I, I'll never have. I don't really want to have mm -hmm. either. Like, I don't need a plane. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to fly in a G6. I know what it's like to fly on American Airlines. <laughs> yeah. Really cramped. Yeah. Yeah. But that'll be, you know, if somebody makes a song about that, I'll probably listen to that because yeah. I can relate to that. But. Um, but like this stuff is, and it, I think it helps that that's, you know, what I grew up listening to. Mm -hmm. So I have that connection, but, um, the lyrics for me are just much more easy, easily 
relatable because we really like we don't have that connection now. There's not many songs now that you might still have that connection to like we did previously. Right. There's a lot of great rock songs and hard rock songs that have come out in the last you know five ten years. But are there any songs that you're making this an emotional attachment to, to where you can hear it and immediately put you in that state of thought or thinking about something 10 years ago or whatever? And then if we start talking about mental illness, you know, which is, is obviously, every, you know, everyone battles something. Right. This song really hits it. What I found interesting about the lyric where he says, I fight this battle, this battle alone. What's odd is that he was surrounded by people who mm-hmm. were trying to help him, but it shows you that what is it like being secluded? Like it's not, not your problem. So it's that's mine. the thing about depression, right? Is that it's not, it's not for everybody. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Because no matter the support system that you have, your brain tricks you into thinking that you are all alone. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I think people don't realize when it comes to addiction and having seen all this shit firsthand is that depression's a, a, big side effect of having those addictions. Yeah. You know, people are embarrassed because they're addicted. People are, you know, sad that they've went down that road and they end up, they end up depressed and you could have an entire neighborhood of people. That's like, bro, we'll help you get it through it. And the second everybody's away, you're like, well, I don't want to be a burden. So I'm a piece of shit. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to take anybody else's time up. Um, so all of that, all of that goes hand in hand. So no matter the support system, you you always constantly feel like you are all alone. Which I guess if we go if we dive back to the first episode that we did with Mother Love Bone, same issue. Mm-hmm. There, Andrew Wood was battling this addiction and just didn't want to ask for help, so he kind of secluded himself from it all. Well, then on top of that, you start adding the fact that these bands are making outrageous money. Yep, people say they're there for you, but you can't ever tell. Like. Are you actually there for me, or are you there for Dude, me because you're yep. you're making money off of me? This is not this is not scripted at all. I swear to God, I have a quote that like I was going to read that Paul just said. This is Lane Staley saying at the end of the day, or at the end of the party, when everyone goes home, you're stuck with yourself. Yep, that's unscripted. You, that's just me and Paul on the on the same level. I don't know that we need to be on that level with Lane, but he's writing these <laughs> yeah. lyrics and these quotes, bro. Yep. So I thought that was kind of powerful to think. Yeah. And I've heard other musicians talk about that too. Like the house is full of people. Hey, you know, um, we may not all be, you know, Vanilla Ice fans, but I remember him saying one time when he had money, when he was on the radio, the house was full of people. Everybody was his friends. As soon as all that went away, nobody returned phone calls. And the fact that Lane would even say that, hey, when the party's over, it's just you. Yeah. You're by yourself. Yep. And I, you know, I don't want to think of bad. I don't want to think bad of Jerry Cantrell. So I'm hoping that, you know, they were all in it together. I think so. When I that mean, kind of stuff happened. I but. just wonder if it's like what you said is it's, it's his problem. Yeah. Lane probably felt it's, it's my problem. I got it under control. I'll handle it. You don't want to be a burden. Just, just tell me where to go. I'll go. Tell me where to be. I'll be kind of thing, and just leave me alone. Yeah, because um, that's kind of what we've noticed. And even in my family, like with drug addiction, it was kind of the same way. Like, I got it. I don't need to be told what to do. Just leave yeah. me alone, and then it just never really works out that way. So, coming back to it, we got the unplugged album. MTV airs it on MTV Unplugged, which was huge. Um, Lane would go would go on to overdose once again while touring with Kiss. 
again, interesting combination at the time. Yeah. Um, this is what, 96? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. I think end of 96. End of 96, yeah. yeah. Um, it's an interesting combination. I want to say it's around, like, the, I want to say the unplugged was what, sometime around, would you say July? Yeah, because this was recorded on July 30th, 96, and it was released, I think, a month later. Okay. So we're at the end of that year. So I don't, you and I are not big Kiss fans. So I don't even know what album they were touring on at that I'm time. I'm not even a little Kiss yeah. fan. Like, yeah. Hot take, they are also incredibly overrated. Yeah, you and I both agreed on that on Sunday Morning Apology episodes. I don't even know what. Yeah, if you guys didn't listen to that, go back and listen to that episode. It's worth it. I don't even know what album they were like touring off of. But something happened to where Allison Chains got on that tour. Lane had an overdose, so they were asked to basically leave the tour. Um, and that would leave the band based on a quote in complete darkness. Um, and that at that point, Allison Chains would go ahead and let everybody know, hey, we're going on a hiatus. We got to take some time off. Um, this was, I wrote this down. This was based on the band and friends. Um, it said that Lane Staley would go, uh, go into complete darkness and distance himself from everybody. Um, if anyone came over, he acted like they weren't there. He didn't return phone calls. He didn't make phone calls. He didn't leave. And to this day, no one really knows how he spent his last few years. I think we can imagine. Yeah. Um, Jerry Control goes on to do his side project stuff, which was uh, I've always liked his side project stuff that he did. And I guess you can't call it a side project anymore because it was Jerry Control doing his own thing. Um, that stuff was doing really well. Um, so I would assume that Lane was probably hanging out in the house, um, just being being secluded. Yeah, I would imagine. I think at this point, I want to say I should have written wrote the date down. I think. Up until this point, his his fiance or girlfriend did pass away of a drug overdose of, of heroin. So he's got that on his plate of depression. So just it's a bad, a bad mix of everything. Um, one of his friends said that uh, when they saw him, he weighed 90 pounds. Now I don't know what Lane, you know, what he weighed before. He weighed 90 pounds, was pale and missing teeth, and suffering from complete depression. Imagine that. It's a tough way to go out. It is. Um, and again, it's, you know, I never understood that. And now I do getting older. But, you know, some people hearing this would go, wait a second. You're Allison. You're Allison fucking chains. Mm -hmm. How are you depressed? You got everything. Obviously, he had everything, but he didn't have everything that he actually needed, you know. Um, so battling severe depression, just living in, a, in an apartment somewhere. Um, Jerry went on to do his, his side stuff. And Lane Staley did come out uh, one time. To help promote Jerry Contrell's one of his like live performances, which was pretty cool, um, that he came out of his apartment and like came. It did. I don't think that he actually performed with Jerry, but I think he was just there, which yeah. is, which is really cool. Um, in two thousand two, Jerry Contrell was asked, "Hey, and what's the future of Allison Chains?" And this is what he was quoted saying: "We are all around. Maybe we can do something soon. I hope that we do." One month later, mm. Lane Staley would pass away from a drug overdose around based on kind of the autopsy and all that around April 5th. The reason that it's kind of, they're not quite sure is because his body wasn't found until two weeks, like after his death. Yeah. Um, a sad dude. So they're saying April 5th and then roughly, you know, body was found two weeks later. Um, I can tell you wholeheartedly that is not a pretty scene. That is, mm. That's awful. I couldn't imagine. It's bad. Um, he's locked everybody out. It's real bad. He's locked everybody out of his life. 
Um, I don't know who found him. That doesn't ever really reference who found him. Yeah. Um, but he locked everybody out of his life. So I'm sure it was like normal. Because like, I, I remember going through some of the feeds uh, of this, of like the story. And so I remember someone saying, like, how? How could you not find him? Well, if, if, if for the next, let's just say four years, if for four years, um, Lane Staley has locked himself away from you, it's normal for him not to return your phone calls. It's normal for you not to hear from him. It's normal for you not to see him. Yeah. So it was probably normal that two weeks went by, maybe somebody in the apartment complex where he lived, what have you, was like, hey, we got to check on him, and then they find him. Honestly, it was probably the smell. Yeah. At yeah. that point, that smell is going to be pretty bad. So somebody's going to walk by, and it's not going to – the door's not going to yeah. stop it anymore. The ceiling's not going to stop it. Like, it's going to get Damn, bad. Damn, dude. Um, <clears throat> that's – um, Terrible. That's, Terrible. That's but, I mean, you know, you you cut people out for years and years. You know, you're talking about, what, going on five and a half, six years at this point of, of, of just seclusion. So, yeah. you know, it's not, it, it wouldn't be unheard of for somebody to not hear from them for that amount of time. You know? That's true. Yeah. I remember, which is interesting, because th- th- he passed away, again, the referencing, like, April April fifth um, is when he passed away in two thousand two. I remember um, the the on air personality of like the local radio station back home coming over and saying, "I remember turning the radio on because at that point in two thousand two, like I was getting really hardcore at Allison Chains, and then it literally comes on or had been, and he's like, "Hey, just let you guys know, like I can't remember how he worded, but he was like Lane Staley." You know, lead singer of Allison Chains has passed away. Drug overdose, and you're like, what? Because mm-hmm. just when you start getting into that music, yeah, it's cut away. Yeah, um, Mike Starr, if you guys remember, he was the bass player. He had been replaced um, because of his drug addictions that he was battling. Would be the last one to see Lane one day before his death, and for years, Mike blamed himself, saying that Lane was in pain, was severely sick. He would not call an ambulance. He wouldn't call a doctor. And just didn't do anything to make himself feel better. And Mike uh, Starr says that for years blamed himself for why he didn't call, didn't intervene, uh, or uh, and says he regrets leaving Lane's apartment that day. Should have stayed. The sad part of that story is Mike Starr himself would go on years later to pass away of his own drug overdose. Yep. Well, that's the thing too is that you know in two thousand two ish mental health really wasn't a thing. And that's where a lot of this addiction stuff comes from is some type of mental health issue. You know, they, they, they suppress the issues with some type of narcotic and, um, you know, just try to push it away instead of dealing with it. Thankfully now, mental health has not become such a hush hush subject and people aren't judged for it as much anymore. So, that issue potentially today would not be the same as it was mm-hmm. back then. You know, there may have been somebody that said like grabbed him and was just like, bro, you're coming with me. I'll yeah. take the kidnapping charge, but you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was, and guide yep. him somewhere to, to get him some help. But if you've been battling, you know, 1990 ish, you oh, got to yeah. imagine he was probably on it a little bit before that. So you're looking at what 14 ish years of, of drug addiction. That's, that's that's hard to kick. That's mm-hmm. that's hard to get somebody off of. And I'm sure Mike Starr, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but I bet he probably left Lane's apartment, got in his car, 
probably had that internal feeling of like, oh, man, I got to do something. And then it was probably like, you know what? I'll call him tomorrow. Yeah. I'll check in tomorrow. If he still feels bad, I'll, I'll take him to the hospital. And that would be, you know, he would probably would, he probably died shortly thereafter somewhere yeah. in that, in that evening. Um, and then of course, Mike Starr passing away a drug overdose himself. And what I thought was interesting is I, I'm never, I'm not a bass player, so I didn't follow Mike Starr's career, but I didn't know that he went on to play in Days of the New, which is, I think it's Travis Meek, lead singer, mm -hmm. who was battling heroin himself. So it's, you just see that. It's just a, it's a constant that cycle, dude. Yeah. Like you just get, you get, you get out of, I, I don't know what, how Mike Starr was doing after he left Alice in Chains, but like get right back, you're right back into just that that environment bro at that time unless you got into gospel music you, you was, were yep. it was around yep um so of course at that point i mean obviously lane's passing was obviously tragic um just like it would be and that was kind of it for allison chains i mean that was 2002 jerry controls releasing i think like i said he's done second or third album at that point under his own name and then i give credit to sean kenny the drummer from 2005 to 2008 the band would do like reunion shows and it was Sean Kinney who took a, took a, a chance and was like, Hey, there was a, a tsunami had hit and he's like, I got like an idea. He called up the members of Allison chains that were obviously alive and was like, Hey, would you guys like want to do this like show? And he was not expecting them to say yes. And they're like, absolutely. And that's why we have the entrance of William Duvall, mm -hmm. which um, I have not seen Allison chains live. Mm. Obviously, you have with William Duvall, so you can touch on that, how close he is in land if he's not close. So where I work, they had this big, like, three-day rock concert, basically. Like, everybody has now. You know, they, they invite all the bands. All the bands do an hour set. Yep. And there's a lot of, like, smaller bands that get some pretty good airtime with some pretty big bands, right? Um, well, there was one night where Allison Chains was closing the show. I want to say it was, like, a Saturday, Friday or Saturday night at this – festival and um we got to work security so because of that i got to go basically to the side stage and watch this concert for free i got paid to be there mm -hmm. to watch this concert and it's all music that i love it's all rock music avenge sevenfold five finger death punch all of them metallica came leonard skinner was there at some point in time uh, yep. Pierce the Veil was there. Bullet for My Valentine. Asking like, Alexandra. Like, asking all, Alexandria. Yeah. All these, all these bands yeah. were there, and um, it was a gr it was a great time. Uh, but Allison Chains was there, and they asked me and one of my buddies if we could escort the tour bus back to the interstate. Mm -hmm. Say less, fam. Absolutely. <laughs> you Whatever had me. You, need you me had to me. Do. At can do you need you? me to sit on the the bus with them? Because I'll do that. I'll go wherever they're going. I'll go to their next city. That's fine. Um, so they play their set, and it was really good. Yeah, like it's not the same. He doesn't sound like Lane. His voice resembles Lane's, and it's close. Uh huh. But it's close in the fact that it's just the tone that sounds the same. You don't feel it. So the music you're listening to, you're like, man, that sounds really good. But that's about the extent of it. You're not like, man, that that hits home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's that like when when Lane sings, you can feel it in your chest. Yep. When this guy sings, you can just you hear it in your ears. 
And maybe that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Like he's not trying too he's much to trying. recreate yep. that. Like it's, it's a very good uh, reproduction of the music. Um, good enough that I would go pay to listen to him in concert. Um, but a good show, the best part of the show. Do it. The the tour manager comes out to me and my buddy. We're sitting by our police cars. We're waiting on the, them to get in the bus. And uh, he goes, hey, you guys are the ones driving us? And I'm like, yep, that's us. Hands us two of Jerry Cantrell's picks from the show that he actually used. And uh, I was like, man, you don't have to do that. Like, I, I can't, like, you don't have to give this to me. And he was like, no, no, it's the least we can do. Y'all are taking us to the interstate. And I was like, well, I ain't going to say no now. Like, I've already tried. <laughs> <laughs> you told me to keep it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. Uh-huh. Um, and it sat in my wallet every day since then. Since it's then. the coolest thing I own. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> shitty part of it. So when you exit this area, this massive complex, they were supposed to be sending all of the traffic to the right. So we were going to stop traffic go across both lanes of travel and go left towards the interstate. Uh-huh. Well, the state police decided to not do their job that night and send everybody left towards the interstate. Which I know no one li- – if you live locally, you know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, making that was the worst decision possible. So it's it's about a mile and a half – of bumper-to-bumper traffic. People yep. were on the shoulder. People were on the median. I'm trying to blue light to get through everybody. Nobody's moving. At this point, like, I'm punching my steering wheel. I'm hollering. If I could uh-huh. get out and write every single person a ticket, <laughs> I would have. But I couldn't <laughs> because I got a bus full of Allison Chains behind me uh-huh. trying to get to the interstate. So I finally, you know, 30 minutes later, we finally get through this traffic. I get them to the interstate. They take off. Gone. Yeah. And then, you know, I go home after that but it was <laughs> really cool i got jerry Cantrell's pick it's not signed or anything but it's a little it's cool memento. they yeah. brought it to like just the fact that there's no other band that did that no other band five finger death punch is supposed to be super pro police pro military mm-hmm. yeah. and there were like 30 of us at the five finger death punch concert on the sides now it was me and Corey. If you guys listen to Sunday Morning Apology, we talk about that where we have to go in the crowd of like 20,000 people by ourselves. <laughs> it got weird. Um, but they didn't do anything. But it was like the fact that they took the time out to mm-hmm. be like, hey, we appreciate it. Just a little token of appreciation. It was awesome. And that just made me like – that just cemented any type mm-hmm. of fandom that I would have had for them. Because let's be honest, at any point, I mean, Allison Chains, Jerry Control, um, by all accounts and all rights, has earned the right to be a jackass. Oh, yeah. But chose not to. Oh, yeah. Um, was like, no, nah, I'll be as, as humble as hell. That yep. is the, that's the cool thing. Well, that's like, so we, is, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. No, you're what, good. What, what time are we at right now? Hour and 15. All right. So I'm going to go about five more minutes. No, you're good. Um, so we work these concerts a lot, or we did when, they, mm-hmm. when we were having them. Um, what's the, the lead singer of Avenge Sevenfold? Uh, Ivan Moody. No, oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's five finger punch. punch. Ugh, it's let's, like, go to, let's go to the phone on that one. Yeah. J.K. Rowland or whatever, <laughs> like the Harry Potter writer or the Hobbit <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, uh, the lead singer of everybody right now listening is like screaming. Oh, yeah. Uh, M. Shadows? M. Shadows. Yeah, he doesn't have a real name. Yeah. So the other Kevin 
that I know my cousin is screaming and he's probably cussing. He's like, you <laughs> douchebags. <laughs> um, he's nice, but he's not kind. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like he said hello and walked right past us to get into a, a truck and leave, which we stopped like four dudes from trying to jump on stage <laughs> to get to him. You know what I mean? Like we had to fight these dudes to get off the stage yep. and you know, but it's, it's, it's little things like that. And then like the muse, that's a story that They're I've awful. never been a, a big fan of muse, but after you told me that story, yeah. it made me not want to like them. So the it was, um, I think it was like 2020, 2020, no 2019. Um, they had gotten big and they were actually closing out the entire festival. Um, and this was during the everybody hates the police stage. Oh yeah. Um, so they actually asked us cause the last concert on Sunday of every year that we had it, we always had like 30 officers up there because it was chaos. You're dealing with like 40,000 people and we only had 30 officers. Those numbers aren't good. <laughs> no. You know, at that point, no, they're not good, but it is what it is. You sign up for it. You get to listen to free music. So you deal with it. Let's get a way to look at they it. decided that it was only best to have two officers on each side of the stage behind the stage and then have everybody else two stages over. So you're and looking course, at yeah. about a quarter mile. So if anything popped off, like it was just going to be uh-huh. chaos and then demanded, you know, all this crazy stuff. And it was just like, you're not, you're not them. Mm-hmm. You guys aren't, the, you guys aren't the one. If Metallica came and said that, be like, all right, well, it's Metallica. We got to get it, yeah. Like, all right, I get it. But like, Because it was weird shit where, like, they didn't share anything, right? Like, you said Mm -hmm. they didn't share water bottles, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that doesn't make you, like, a jackass, but they didn't share water bottles. And then didn't they close out the show? Did you tell me they close out the show by, pat? like, a ton of fog comes up, covers the stage, and then they pass the guitar off to the the, uh, guitar tech. Yep. And then... So the band's already gone. So the yep. whole crowd thinks the band's still on stage. And then yep. when the fog settles, they're gone. It's just a guitar tech on the guitar. Done. Gone. No encore. Yep. No, no thank nothing. you. Like, hey, thanks. You know, they didn't want to have to pay the fine for playing past 10 o'clock. Oh, okay. Okay. Everybody else that's ever played any, Every, any of the ending shows of any day. Yes. Played to like 1030. It's a normal. Because at that point, they just yeah. have free reign. Like they can, they're going to get fine. What? 10 grand. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, and this is going to end up getting paid by the festival, anyways. Yeah. So that was that. That turned me off. So whenever I, I yeah. hear them now, it's an immediate. immediate, immediate I don't know next. how many times even PNC in Charlotte has a eleven oh five. I think curfew. Yeah, something like that. And there's been many a times uh, where it's eleven oh five, and the band on stage is like, "What do you guys think? You want to hear one more?" And still keep playing because that's right. what they're there to do is to keep the fans they're entertained, placating to the people that pay their bills. Who actually exactly weird. Mm-hmm. So I think that I always Sorry, I got on my soapbox for a minute. No, I like I'll, it. I get off. No, it, that, that means a lot, though, because I think you're right, though. If, if if you meet your favorite band or a band that you like or what have you, and they treat you with that <laughs> humility. It, it's a, it's a, but if they treat you bad, you're taking a 50-50 shot. Like, I, I, was, a, I was always a massive fan of Korn. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I heard a story recently where there was, like, a special needs kid that was able to make it backstage. Like, they paid for the backstage passes, all that. And they, this guy and his dad like walked up to Jonathan Davis and I think it was Fieldy maybe. Okay, yeah. Um, and walked up to him 
and the like the kids started kind of like freaking out and was like, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. Like, can I get an autograph? And apparently both of them just looked at him and was like, <laughs> get him out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, Well, God, now I can't fucking listen to corn. I don't have a button that says, What a dick. Yeah. Like I can't listen to corn anymore because, you know. I thought I actually had one because that deserves a what an asshole. Like that does that's but that's the thing, like, I get that you're famous, but you ain't you ain't too famous. Like, come on, dude. You ain't come on. Yeah. Yeah. That will ruin it though. That mm-hmm. would absolutely ruin it um for you. Uh years again, without going down um crazy rabbit holes. Uh Josh Todd, lead singer Buckcherry. Mm-hmm. Um, he came into town um and we had a chance to open up for him when he did his solo stuff. Now, you would think Josh Todd coming off of Buck Cherry, he hadn't released Crazy Bitch yet. He's coming off of the song everybody knows. Um, I'm all lit up again. Yeah. Right? And you would think he would kind of come in with a little bit of that asshole, the sweetest dude ever. Like, really? The nicest guy. We had the opportunity, to, the band I was in at the time had an opportunity to play, open up for them. It, from the from was it a merengue band, or, or the band we we're in mariachi, mariachi, mariachi. Nice. Um, the death metal mariachi, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but down from Josh Todd down to their to their management, absolute the nicest people ever, nicest people. Josh Todd, super cool guy. Um, the sad part is, which we get, we understand. Everybody was there, and as soon as he played lit up, they all started leaving, mm. and he didn't even bother. Like he didn't, he didn't act like an asshole. He didn't say anything hateful. He was just like, yeah, that's why I played it towards the end of the night. Like nicest guy in the world. And you would think he would be just a dick. Yeah. We, all the bands in two, I think it was 2003, 2004 coming off of Ozfest. The bands that were playing like, what was it? D stage at Ozfest. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys came in, uh, bands like, uh, sworn enemy, E-Town concrete, uh, chimera, all of them. Um, you got bands coming off the D stage of Ozfest acting like royal assholes yeah. to bands like myself that were just their supporting act uh, would walk in like gigantic assholes. And you want to be like, bro, you were playing like the 2.30 spot at Ozfest. Like no one was watching 2.30 on a Friday. Yeah, you, like, you, you, you didn't. didn't <laughs> you didn't. You're not in prime time, my, my man. Like your your band was so low, it didn't even get put on the flyer. That's how low your band was. It's not even on the T-shirt that you're wearing, but you want to walk in here and bitch it because the water isn't cold enough. Yeah. Uh, or, the, or like whatever the case may be, and that will absolutely ruin it. Well, I feel like that's a lot of what kind of happens because like we got to interact with a lot of bands. Um, we actually got put onto a band, Ashes to New, and they've got like a a, a very much a Lincoln Park vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Great band. If you haven't listened to them, listen to them. They got some bangers. Um, but they were awesome. Like this dude's dad ended up carrying them across the mud because he had like brand new white Air Force ones <laughs> on. He didn't and, and like it was muddy. Yeah. So his dad, like I like I see him carrying him across the mud and like we make eye contact and he just looks at me and he just starts busting out laughing because I'm looking at him like I'm judging him at this point. Yeah. I'm like, bro, your dad's carrying you across the mud. <laughs> um, but ended up chatting with him for a little bit after the show. And then like Papa Roach. 
And mm-hmm. people don't like Papa Roach. Papa Roach puts on a phenomenal concert. Mm-hmm. But they took time to like say hey to everybody. Like everybody that was backstage, like everybody that Jacoby came in contact with, like he was signing something. Like yep. if they wanted a signature, they, they were getting it. Like he wasn't too big for his own britches. That's awesome. And then um, you know, you got people like the Muse. <laughs> I think they have like three songs. The dumbest name. Um, yeah. And now um, you know, they're not popular. Anyway, I don't think. I don't think. I haven't heard shit from them, but not that yeah. I'm like. You follow your fan page. I do. Okay. I love them. I love all of them. I get it. Um, I always like to ask this question. Um, let's do, I'll do like classic rock. What classic rock band that's still touring today is notorious, <laughs> is notorious. Their lead singer is notorious for holding up, uh, holding up the tour, missing flights, and holding the whole band up on schedule because he will stay until everyone gets an autograph or a photo. I have no idea. Steven Tyler. Oh. Is notorious. He has yep. he will stay dude looks like a lady. You and know what he, I mean? Not saying I mean, he like, lived out that song. He did. Um, <laughs> he looks like the, everyone's mom in the carpool line. He looks like <laughs> Julia Roberts. <laughs> he does. Um, but he will they say that like that dude will wait. He will hold up a tour bus. He will hold up a flight until everyone, to this day, gets their photo, and their moment. He's got more money than God. And if anything, he has earned the right. I'm not saying earned the right, but yes, he has earned the right to be a little bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. And they said that like the rest of the band will go on about their day, and he will stay there until their management's like, we have got to go. Mm-hmm. And there was a story I read one time where they'd gotten a tour manager. This was like in the 90s, so I mean, they were still flying high. And a, a tour manager came out and was like, we have got to go. And there was a Steven Tyler was signing autographs out in the parking lot. And the tour manager comes out and was like, we have, we got to go. Like we've got to get on schedule. And they said, he turned around, turned around and said, go back on the bus and continue to sign all the autographs. When he got back on the bus, he was basically told the tour manager, like today's your last day. Like you're never going to tell me all those people out there have worked hard and paid hard on money to come see us, they're getting their, you know, 30 seconds of time. Yeah. Today's your last day. Yeah. And I think that's a a great way to approach it because, I, you know, and I don't know that a lot of the, the grunge bands did that, but I feel like that time frame, that genre mm-hmm. was much more accommodating. Um, and it's like Nirvana. And that's one thing, like, I do respect about them is that they were um, they were interviewed at one point in time and they were selling tickets for, like, 20 bucks a ticket. Yeah, and uh, they some interviewer had asked them about what they thought about Madonna's ticket prices, that. and they were like, "What? Like, what's she charging?" And they were like, fifty dollars." And they were like, fifty dollars? Oh my god, that's highway robbery!" Uh-huh. Like, we could make fifty dollars. He was like, "That's ridiculous." He was like, "We're gonna charge twenty. Twenty bucks. We're gonna keep it at twenty. Where fifty bucks was high, they thought that was crazy, and now." Um, we were checking concert tickets for like George Strait is coming to uh, Bank of America Stadium, yep. and they were like five something five hundred a piece to sit on the floor, which is still good seats. That's five hundred. I'm not paying a car payment to go see somebody. <laughs> That's crazy because it's going to be on YouTube the next it's day. True. If something <laughs> if something weird pops off, I'm going to see it on YouTube the next like, day. Like holy shit! So I do respect that about Nirvana. I remember hearing that story. Where he lost Kurt Cobain lost his uh, Chuck Taylor mm-hmm. and stayed until the cleanup crew found it. Yep, he could have went and bought a brand new one. They were on tour, mm-hmm. I think, during the Nevermind, and literally stayed behind <laughs> to get his shoe. Yeah, 
I don't know. It's a different time, man. It's a different time. I respect. I I respect that hugely because it shows me that you still. Well, people like that, like I'm not that me spending my money matters to anybody, but like (laughs) I'm willing to spend my money on bands that do that. Yeah, you know, because it it means something to me that they're willing to stay and sign autographs or stay and take pictures. Because like if I take my kid to see somebody, yep, and that guy's an asshole. Where we about to have some problems. <laughs> That's exactly because right. Because I worked for however many days to get these tickets, and now you want to treat my kid bad. Yeah. Nope. And you're seeing it. You're seeing it now, which we talked about it before on one of the shows, where you have singers and musicians calling people out now for taking selfies at concerts, but then you still have a few that are still doing the right thing. Marlena Lambert. I, exactly. Ivan Moody from Five Figure Death Punch. You may not be a fan of his music, but the dude is will stop a show if someone gets hurt, if someone gets dumped on their head during a mosh pit. Yep. Um, other. There's been other country artists that have stopped shows because of that. Um, Aaron Lewis, I know he's kind of went off into the country world a little bit. He has stopped shows if he sees like a female being like disrespected. That your music doesn't have to be that good, but I respect you for just being a good like human Person. being. Where yeah. we've seen hip hop and rap shows and either other metal shows where things are happening, things are being set on fire, and the show is still. Hey, I guess that's where the motto of the show continues. You know, the show yeah. got to go on. So I, res- I always respect that. Yep. Um, that pretty much, man. We got off, got off topic. Oh, I love quick. it, dude. I, hey, man, you give me, you get to start my music. You got on my soapbox, and here we are. No, that's pretty much. I mean, because now we're, um, now we're pretty much at the end. I mean, obviously, you have William Duvall coming into Allison Chains, which Paul kind of talked about seeing him live. At that point, um, 2009, they released Black Gives Way to Blue, which was a really good album featuring William Duvall. 2013, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here, interesting title. That was in 2013, and Rainier. Fog, which is not an album I've really dove into hardcore. No. That was in 2018. And currently in 2022, somewhere in the ending ending of 2022, the band said they were going into the studio to work on their next album. And they are currently on tour with uh, the, well, starting fall 2023, uh, you can see Allison Chains with Guns N' Roses mm. um, featuring Axl Rose is back. That you, dude is stealing your money. <laughs> <laughs> we put out a we put out a, an episode a while back where Paul referenced Alice, um, Guns N' Roses, and people got pissed. Uh, one of my good buddies, Rusty, is a huge GNR fan, and literally was sending me stuff after that, being like, "Dude, he's really good. I saw him live." No, and- he's not. Like, he he may have his moments, but as a whole, he's not good. Like, he looks like a heroin addict like he he's skin and bones he, he looks like brett michaels <laughs> who went vegan i was trying to find I, I thought it was on here i was trying to find the new song they put out and it's not i can't find it uh, on here at all but i i i listened to the new song that they released and i was like oh it's someone said they tried like mm. it, it was not as good as you would think it would be but shocker yeah. Well, again, if you want to, that's fall 2023. It will be Alice in Chains on tour with Guns N' Roses. Alice in Chains would be worth going to see. If, if you like the band, it's, they're they're comparable enough to, to pay for the ticket. You could probably skip skip Guns N' Roses. Because I actually think it said, yeah, I think Alice in Chains is headlining it. As they should be. So that's that's actually good. Um, so Which you then proves my point. It's still the entire Guns N' Roses crew. Yeah. Yeah, and Allison exactly. Chains is headlining with a different lead singer. That's exactly right. Yep, I'm not saying you just proved my point, but, but well, you we did. My point. We did. 
So that is the whole God, we can go on forever on this, but this is that is the yeah. whole enchilada about one of our favorite bands, Alice in Chains. That was a good one. I enjoyed it. Well, we get to dive into a little bit of backstory, some of the albums. Hopefully, if you're not an Alice in Chains fan, like maybe just not really dive dove into them, definitely go back. Facelift, dirt, dive into them. Hell, you know what? I'll make it even easier. When you're listening, like as soon as this is over. Just go listen to the unplug because that'll yeah. cover. That'll pretty much cover all the songs we talked about. That will cover it. So I'm going to do something we haven't done before. I'm going to close out and then um, we're actually going to play for you, the listener, uh, the whole entire song of Nutshell. As you should. So you don't even have As to go should. anywhere. We're going to play Nutshell. So, Paul, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. <laughs> um, glad we got to nerd out together in Allison Chance. Absolutely, man. It was a great time. Well, who was going to be our next? What's our next episode going to be? What would you say? I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. Yeah. Maybe we change genres. Maybe we go a little bit of classic rock. Ooh. Okay. I like that. Because we've done a lot of the uh, grunge. grunge yeah. Maybe a little predecessors. I like that. All right. We'll see. Guys, thanks for listening to Low Enchilada with myself and Paul on this deep dive in Allison Chains. Please like, share, subscribe, all that shit. Let's hear some nutshell. Thanks for Adios. listening, guys. Face the path of time.